It's Tuesday the 20th of October and it's time for the Royal College of Speech and Language Therapy to monthly catch-up. And I'm lucky to be here today with two of RCSLT's directors, Derek Mann, who will be giving his roundup of all things policy and public affairs. Hello, Derek. Hello. Good morning, thank you. And also we're thrilled to be joined by Judith Grohl, um, our guest star this month, to update us on issues around guidance and career development. Welcome, Judith. Good morning. Hello. Thank you for joining us. There's a lot going on at the moment uh, around COVID. What is RCSLT doing to support members during the pandemic as the incident rate is rising in many areas around the UK? And Derek, if I can turn to you first and ask you what's going on in policy and public affairs? Of course, Vicky. I mean, as the, the second wave or the second spike, whichever it is, takes hold, clearly supporting members and advocating on your behalf around COVID-19 becomes the overwhelming priority again, although not the only thing we're doing, naturally. Judith will exemplify a range of the, the professional resources and support. But in the wider context, I think issue one, restarting services and keeping services open, where we know this is going to be different the first time around, less redeployment, but we need to be clear about where and when it isn't happening, what services are staying open, what's being provided remotely, how that's all getting done, and particular complexities around school settings, and particularly for those people who aren't employed by the NHS, and the fact that it varies across the four nations, and the fact that in many cases, members themselves are parents who are dealing with the, the challenges of bubbles and un, uncertain school closures and all of that. So, so that's area one. Area two, protective equipment, which obviously can also be a, a thing in school settings, but we're also back into the acute thing. We are still bringing pressure to bear on the system in respect of aerosol generating procedures. We also have at the other end, we know the urgent need to sort out clear and transparent face masks and face coverings where some had got procured by the UK government and then there's uncertainty about the safety level of them. The Scottish government is doing its own thing and we're hearing that they may have got something now in Scotland which is past the safety tests, but we still need to be clear about that. So we're having to work across all of those areas. Um, and then there's a new issue arising to add to the novel care pathway, particularly around long COVID, but I think Judith will address that matter too. Okay, great. Thank you, Derek. So that segues nicely into Judith, um, if your thoughts on what we're doing around the COVID situation. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it feels like the whole world is COVID and it's been like this for a while, but there is a huge amount going on. I think leading on from what Derek has just said, we are aware that long COVID is becoming more of an issue for the government. It's now hit their radar and we are considering setting up an in-house long COVID working party because the issues for, for people who've been uh, presenting with long COVID issues are different from the first wave and indeed we don't want to confuse them with the second wave that are coming through. And I think we need to be mindful that some of our members are also in this category of, of actually suffering with long COVID and we're aware that there are some issues that we need to to support members with around how we can help them get better while also supporting them in their workplace as well. So that's something that we are looking to set up, looking most at clinical but also at the research and seeing how we can deliver input into that agenda. I think as Derek also said we are supporting members around restarting and resetting up their services both in children and adults care and we're we're looking together to put together a prioritization framework to help people just think about 
the best ways to start services up. I think children's services in particular, which was was shut altogether during the, the first peak of COVID, and really having to set everything up and then also think about how they're going to deliver care, especially into schools where I think, as, uh, as Derek mentioned, there are some challenges, especially around PPE, for example. But I think we need to be really helpful and to support patient people, members and people in the independent sector, try and unpick the way through the, the ongoing changes in legislation around what we can and can't do. In terms of COVID, there have been lots of reviews of some of our guidance, including fees and endoscopy. And the working party reviewed the initial piece of guidance that was put in place. We need to tweak it further, but I think we're almost there again. We need to just to review that it was okay. There is a working party from the Trachysen in particular, writing some training for critical care for speech and language therapists. We are planning on endorsing this work. And that really came out of a drive from central government asking for more speech and language therapists to be made available to support the second wave, second spike, whatever you wanted to call it. And we felt very strongly as an organization that we needed to ensure that the uh, the framework and that people were safe and clinicians were safe going into that, that space. So there's a really robust framework being set up and written which is just about ready to go. And we are going to also look to set up some virtual surgeries just as a, as a learning tool and a touch point to help clinicians and trainers think that they can, they can look at that and it's not all dependent on that one person in that place. And this goes along with the bigger piece of guidance going around ICUs, around the numbers of speech and language therapists needed. Again, that's a big workforce challenge in the light of COVID. Thank you, Judith. That's fantastic. And of course, there's already still a huge amount of work taking place aside from COVID, which is key for the profession. Could you tell me what's keeping you busy right now, apart from the COVID stuff, maybe start with Judith this time? I think a really exciting piece of work is what's going on around careers and careers progression. And I think this, this goes all the way through from the work that we're doing, engaging in schools. I think we need to be really trying to get our pipeline not only more diverse but also think about getting more people into the profession so we're, we're talking to the department of education to see if we can put some speech language therapy awareness raising um, pieces into the curriculum at primary secondary school level all the way through to working um, with apprenticeships and we're very excited that a new apprenticeship program is starting up at the university of essex and i think that's something that's really going to help think about different people coming into the profession through to working with support workers, how we can support newly qualified professionals, um, therapists coming in, and then through whether you want to go into clinical academia or whether you want to stay in the specialist roles, how we can support members to keep their skills set up, especially in this world post-COVID, where although they are delivering their, the care, how we can make sure that they, they keep their CPD in, in place. Um, all the way through to supporting them around um, extended roles in ACP consultant roles and first contact practitioner roles. And we're working with primary care. I think the other piece in that is, is looking at where we can recruit. And we've been working with clinicians who have worked or have experience of working in the armed forces. And we might be thinking about some kind of uh, some recruitment drive into, into them once they leave the armed forces. We're also reviewing our information on the website to make sure that it is as, as robust and up to date as we can. In terms of support for um, the profession, there is the Children and Young People's Mental Health Learning Journey, which is 
in full swing, which will be a very exciting piece of work. And again, a, a telehealth piece, but I think it's something that we could all be use, using is the uh, there's an online dysphagia decision making tool that is just about to be launched, which will be really useful um, for everybody involved. And a final plug from me is around the large piece of work around the entry level dysphagia competencies training is launching at the moment. There is a webinar this evening, actually, looking at how we, we need to align our pre-registration dysphagia training with all of the MRA countries. So we are delighted that we are having some colleagues from Australia and the Republic of Ireland talking about how they are doing their work and, uh, and put embedding curriculum around dysphagia into their undergraduate training and also working about how we can get that out to work with the clinical educators. So it's a big piece of work. It's going to be a long journey, but we hope we can see you all on that journey. And those are just the highlights of the many other things that's also going on within, the, within my world. Thank you, Judith. And then I'll pass over to Derek for what's happening in your world that's not in the realm of COVID. Thank you. Yes, although everything can be interrelated, but <laughs> yeah. what we can loosely call business as usual. Um, a few things. First of all, we continue to give a priority to mental health. A couple of weeks ago, we had an online lecture with Professor Karen Bryan on mental health and speech and language therapy. Well worth catching up with that online. You know, many hundreds of people joined us, and it was fascinating. Early language, um, particularly in England, with the abolition of Public Health England, getting clarity from government about where the early language programmes we've worked with them on are going to sit in future and continuing to take that forward. And actually, we've also just submitted our evidence around curriculum review in Wales. Parliamentary debate, but in Scotland, there's a, an issue around implementation of a piece of legislation where we're still working to make sure that people who use AAC devices get the, the legal rights provision that they now have in Scotland. And at Westminster, I've mentioned before on these podcasts, the bill which we're using to re-raise the issue of the right to prescribe. And we have a key debate coming up in the House of Lords where we get to press the case around the extension of prescribing rights to speech and language therapists. The last thing I would mention, which is going live in a, a week or two's time, is the biggest ever survey we've done of the experience of service users in respect to speech and language therapy before, during and after COVID-19. It's going to be vital to our future influencing work and important in its own right that people who use speech and language therapy get to tell their stories. So I'd encourage everyone to, to engage with that when it goes live. Great. Thank you, Derek. Um, where would people find the survey? It'll be hosted on the website, but it'll be... I very much hope going through every known RCSLT social media channel as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. And the final question is, um, and I'm sure regular listeners will be familiar with this question, but the RCSLT is 75 years old this year, and we're making the most of it with a year-long celebration. And this month's theme is inspiration. So I'm going to ask you, Judith and Derek, who or what inspires you in the world of speech and language therapy? I don't know who'd like to go first. Derek. <laughs> Thanks, Vicky. I'm, I'm constantly inspired by the profession, and that's one of the reasons I've been here for so long. But I think most recently, it's when over the summer, as we've been putting together the service user survey, and I guess members have given their own time to make sure that we get the accessibility right, and that's been in respect of aphasia, it's been in respect of adults with learning disability, it's been in respect of um, Makaton, it's been in respect of 
screen readers for people using AAC. And I think it's the combination of the, the tenacity of members, the sheer expertise, clinical and scientific, and then the way that that's combined with empathy and compassion for the people that we work with. And actually working with members over the summer was actually quite moving and why I'm still here. Yeah. Thank you, Derek, that's, that's really lovely. And Judith, I could pass over to you now. Gosh, it's going to be quite hard to follow that one. I would, I would absolutely echo exactly everything Derek has just said. I think what I would like to add is not only the skills and the knowledge of members inspire me, but also they, I think, and I keep saying it, and I absolutely think it's extraordinary, the, the creativity, especially in this extremely different wonky world we live in, the, the lengths to which members are trying to work out how they can still deliver high quality care that is absolutely focused on the way that they would like to it delivered for service users. And I understand that the, the challenges sometimes with telehealth and the ways that people are prepared to therapize it through open windows and to think about different creative ways of working online and the workarounds and the and the passion with which people are especially when everybody is tired and having to had to work in these very difficult times for so long they still keep going and they're still coming up with these most wonderful creative ways of of delivering their services and also working with colleagues, I think all I'm hearing is how wonderful speech and language therapists are, and I'm hearing that from non-speech and language therapists. So I do think there is something around flying the flag for the profession by not always being a speech and language therapist in its purest form, but being a speech and language therapist to your, the end of time, but also proving how we can work with other people for the best outcome for, for, for the individual service user. So it's a long way, winded way of saying you're all marvellous. Fantastic answer. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you, Derek and Judith. We will be back again next month with the regular catch up with Derek. But, Judith, I uh, hope to see you in the future sometimes. Okay, thank you both. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.